0: Today we're going to learn more about who God is. We'll be in the book of Daniel. book of Daniel, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Daniel chapter 4. But I want to set you up for our main thrust of that chapter in just a moment. Learning about the attributes of God, in particular today, the sovereignty of God. We come to the book of Daniel and you find it beginning with Captivity where Daniel and three of his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, which you don't know them by those names, you know them by their Babylonian names because they were taken captive along with others from the nation of Israel into captivity into Babylon. And there they are indoctrinated into all things Babylon. And after that period of training, of education, of indoctrination of these four individuals who are talked about in chapter 1, they are elevated to places of great leadership in King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. We're told in particular that Daniel has this special ability to be able to understand and interpret dreams. We come to chapter 2 and King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has a dream. And in that dream, no one of his advisors could explain it. But Daniel could he alone could give the king the explanation of the dream and by the way when you look at that dream that Nebuchadnezzar has it is a dream of God's sovereignty over all the nations of the earth you come to chapter 3 and there you find that Daniel is mysteriously absent from that chapter but his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not. They are there in that chapter because there we find King Nebuchadnezzar was an egomaniac who loved himself above everyone else because he had this golden statue built in his image, and everybody in the kingdom was supposed to bow down to the statue, but there are these three Hebrew men that were young men that refused to bow down, and because of their decision, they're thrown into the fiery furnace, but God comes through and delivers them in their obedience to the Lord and there's again they are elevated to positions of great authority and then we come to chapter 4 our main chapter that we're going to begin with where Daniel once again comes to the king and gives him an interpretation of yet another dream So this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has in chapter 4, this one really frightens the king. And he calls for all of his advisors to come. And just like in chapter 2, they couldn't tell him the meaning of the dream. So finally, Daniel, who the king called Belteshazzar, that was his Babylonian name. The king called him that. He came before King Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar told him his dream. His dream was this, that there was a large tree... In the middle of the earth, and it grew as high as the heavens, and its branches stretched so far, and there were leaves and fruit, and animals came to find shelter and covering under it, and from this tree it fed the entire earth. But then Nebuchadnezzar said to Daniel that he saw a messenger come down, saying, cut down this tree and shake its leaves and scatter its fruit and and likewise all the animals and those that had come would, would dispense from it or disperse from it but then that same messenger says but let the stump and the roots remain in the ground and then this is what the messenger said that no doubt created so much fear in nebuchadnezzar's heart the messenger said let him Be drenched with dew from heaven, and let him live among the wild animals, among the plants of the field. For seven periods of time, let him have the mind of a wild animal instead of the mind of a human. Then the messenger continued, This decision is announced so that the living may know that the Most High is sovereign over the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. Nebuchadnezzar then says to Daniel, Belshazzar, this was my dream. Tell me what it means for none of the wise men And my kingdom can do so, but you can tell me, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Now, upon hearing this dream, Daniel doesn't quickly respond. In fact, he is frightened by what he has heard in the dream. He says nothing initially until Nebuchadnezzar prods him and says, Daniel, don't be alarmed about the dream and by what it means. Daniel said, I wish... My Lord, this dream would happen to your enemies and not to you. And then he told the king the meaning of his dream. He said, the tree that you saw in your dream, your majesty, that tree is you. For you have grown strong and great and your greatness reaches up to heaven and your rule extends to the very ends of the earth. But then you saw a messenger, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He didn't use this word to Nebuchadnezzar, but we know that as an angel, a messenger from God. And that message that the Most High has declared will happen to my Lord. This is what's going to happen. You will be driven away from society. And you will live among the fields. With all the wild animals, you will eat grass like a cow. You'll be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven periods of time will pass while you live this way until you learn that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of this world and gives them to whomever He chooses." But the stump and the root of the tree are left in the ground. This means, King, that you will once again receive your kingdom back when you learn that heaven rules. King Nebuchadnezzar, please stop sinning. Stop living this way that you're living Do what is right. Break from your wicked past. Be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. The Bible says that all these things happened to Nebuchadnezzar, but it was a year later when it unfolded. It was there as King Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the flat top of his palace in Babylon, looking out over the city. And as he was looking out over all that he was sovereign over, he said, look at this great city of Babylon. By my almighty power, I have built this beautiful city as my royal residence to display my majestic splendor. And while those words were on his tongue, he then heard a voice calling down from heaven, and it spoke the very words that Daniel had said to the king a year prior. In that same hour, the judgment was fulfilled, and Nebuchadnezzar was driven away from human society. He ate grass like a cow, and he was drenched with the dew of heaven, and he lived this way until his hair was as long as eagle's Feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Look now with me at Daniel chapter 4. And look at his own words as he came back to his senses and his normalcy. And hear what Nebuchadnezzar had to say about this remarkable, extraordinary experience that he had. The Bible says this. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I bless the Most High, and praise and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? Mighty King Nebuchadnezzar, who just had his way with the weak, defeated Israelites, the most powerful king in the world at that time, learned a valuable lesson that he as king was truly not the sovereign one over all things but that there was a most high god who is the sovereign god who reigns with total power authority and dominion i wanted to start with kind of a living biblical picture of a man who experienced first hands firsthand the sovereignty of God it wasn't until God decided after seven periods of time time we don't even know exactly what the periods were but then God decided in his sovereignty that then Nebuchadnezzar could lift his eyes to heaven and then speak once again with the mind of a man what a story of the sovereignty of God You know, this word sovereignty is especially relevant to us on this of all days, the 4th of July. Because on July the 4th, 1776, we as a people declared our independence from Great Britain. Great Britain's king, George 3rd he was sovereign over all lands and people belonging to Great Britain. He ruled as the sovereign, as the king over the 13 colonies until those 13 colonies took a bold step to become their own sovereign nation. Now, a sovereign nation is independent. A sovereign nation has authority over itself. The Revolutionary War was a battle for sovereignty, it was a war fought to determine who had the sovereignty over these 13 colonies. And our Declaration of Independence, which Call it what it is. It was rebellion against the sovereignty of England. It was our Declaration of Independence and our establishment and practice of our own self-government inaugurated the United States of America to become a sovereign nation. So every year, we celebrate our sovereignty as a nation on this day. In his book, God as He Longs for You to See Him, Pastor and author Chip Ingram says the best way to understand what a word means is to look it up in the dictionary. And that's exactly what he does. He gives us Webster's definition of this word, sovereign, which is an adjective and also a noun. What does it mean? You can see on the screen. It means to be above or superior to all others chief, greatest, supreme. Number two, it means to be supreme in power, rank, or authority. Three, of or holding the position of ruler, royal, reigning. Four, independent of all others. Five, excellent, outstanding. As a noun, the word sovereign means a person who possesses sovereign authority or power, specifically a monarch or a ruler. Could there not be a better word to describe our God? All of the attributes of God are true about God, 100% true about Him. But this word sovereign is such a powerful word relevant word for us today as a nation celebrating our freedom but also because our god is truly sovereign above all superior to all no one greater no one more supreme than god no one outranks god no one has more power than god or authority than god he is the ruler over everything he's I am who I am, eternally self-existent. He is independent of all others, and who is more excellent or outstanding than God? We're spending the summer just scratching the surface of learning the attributes of who God is. We could spend and will spend the rest of our lives for all eternity coming to know and understand and realize and take into ourselves all that our God truly is. He is sovereign. No one is more excellent or outstanding or incomprehensible than our God. He is the ultimate sovereign who reigns, who possesses all authority and power. So he clearly fits the bill for this definition as a sovereign God. Today we're looking at the sovereignty of God. I've given you a biblical example from Daniel 4, a definition from Webster, who by the way was a strong Bible-believing Christian himself, What does the Bible mean when it talks about God's sovereignty? So three things the Bible means when it speaks of the sovereignty of God. Then I'm going to leave you with some ways that we can respond to the sovereignty of God. So number one, the sovereignty of God means that God reigns. Now, you'll see on the bottom of the slide that you can text FBC notes to 77411 to follow along on your smartphone or or Tablet of the message. If you ever want a copy of my message, just email me or just call the office. I I, I can send you a Microsoft Word document of the notes. I want to share these notes with you. So, this word sovereignty, within the word sovereignty is the word reign, right in the middle. See that? Reign. The sovereignty of God means that God reigns. There are so many verses that talk about God reigning as king. Just three, I'll share with you three references, Psalm 47, 8 to begin. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. Now today, after this service, I'm not sure what your plans are on this Independence Day. Maybe your family's traveling in to see, maybe they're already here and you're sitting together this morning in church. Maybe you're watching online or on television because you're traveling today. But here we are on this Independence Day and you will probably go back to your domain of sovereignty, which is your home, right? And usually inside of our domain of sovereignty, we have a seat that's our seat that we sit on. Maybe it's our throne to where we can rule the television or tell others what we'd like for them to do as, as the authority of the home. Maybe your throne today is going to be right beside that barbecue grill. I'm not sure where exactly how you're going to be reigning, but know this, that there is only one throne in heaven. It is Holy It is set apart, and the Lord God is the one who sits on it. And he rules over the nations. Psalm 113, 4 and 5, that definition of sovereignty from, from Webster, that to be sovereign is to be above all. It says, the Lord is high above all nations. His glory above the heavens. I mean, look outside and see the glorious heavens, the stars. How beautiful they are. But God's glory is above that, the psalmist says. Verse 5, who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high? And the answer is no one. He is sovereign. Seated on high above all others. Then Psalm twenty-two twenty-eight: 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations kingship is his he is the king of kings we know from the bible that anyone who serves with any kind of dominion or sovereignty in this life is granted kingship in that area from the king of kings. Daniel prays this in chapter 9 and talks about this, the sovereignty of God over human leaders and rulers. But our Lord Jesus really shows this to us in his conversation with Pontius Pilate in the Gospel of John just before Jesus Christ will go to the cross. Pontius Pilate really is trying to help Jesus, because he is the Roman governor there of the region of Israel, and he has authority, and he's trying to get Jesus just Tell me something, right? Because these Jewish leaders want Pilate to declare Jesus Christ to be crucified. He's like, just, just tell me something, Jesus, that, so I can help you. Don't you know I have the authority to condemn you or release you? To which Jesus says, you would have no authority at all unless it was granted to you by my Father in heaven. You see, Jesus understood that heaven was rules, and that any earthly ruler comes under the sovereignty of God, and Jesus was coming under the sovereign will of his Father, and that's why he said, not my will, but yours be done. The sovereignty of God means that God reigns at its essence. It's part of the word sovereignty, right? Number two, the sovereignty of God means that God does all that he pleases to do. That God does all that he pleases to do. This comes straight from a great psalm. Psalm one fifteen three. our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Not my idea that sovereignty of God means that God does all that he pleases to do, but the Bible tells us that God is sovereign and does all that he pleases to do. To illustrate this, let's go back to a very familiar, popular, animated film by Disney a few decades ago, The Lion King, a a cartoon movie about being king, right? And so who is the lion king? Well, it's, it's, it's Mufasa, the dad, but it's really the son, Simba. And so Simba knows that he's going to be king one day when he gets older. And so he's walking around with his good friend, Nala, and they're talking about what it would be like When I'm king, and of course there is Zazu, that advisor to his dad, that bird, and he's just kind of going back and forth with Simba. And what does Disney do? But they write a song, and they bring it out in song, right? And so Simba says, oh, I just can't wait to be king. No one's saying do this. No one's saying be there. No one's saying stop that. No one's saying see here. What? Free to run around all day, right? You know the song? Free to do it all my way. Da, 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 da. right? Good song, right? i never forget that song. I heard it years ago. But it, it talks about sovereignty, right? He's like, I want to do what I want to do with, with total dominion. I want to do what I want to do. That's part of being sovereign. That God does what he pleases to do. The Bible says, uses another analogy talking about God that he of course he sits on his throne not just an analogy but a reality but another analogy in scripture is that God is the potter. Look at Jeremiah 18:6. This is a familiar analogy used in Isaiah 64 and even Romans chapter 9 of God being the potter. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done declares the lord behold like clay in the potter's hand so are you in my hand o house of israel i never have messed with clay but i've played with play-doh right (laughs) the poor man's clay and so yeah i mean the, the potter has total sovereignty over doing what he or she pleases with the clay that's the image that's the analogy isaiah 64 one of the rare times in the old testament where where the the writer says that god you are our father and you are the potter and we are the clay there's a great old hymn that we sing have thine own way lord have thine own way you are the potter i am the clay and then in romans chapter 9 that great chapter about sovereignty where where paul says who are you man to talk back to the potter He does all that he pleases. Part of what it means that he's sovereign. So he reigns. He does all he pleases to do. Number three, the sovereignty of God means that there is no other one like God. No other one like God. I'm going to skip to Isaiah 44. Because if you want to see a book in the Bible that declares the holiness of God, the majesty of God, The omnipotence and omniscience of God and the very sovereignty of God. Read Isaiah, chapter 44, verses 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. So many names, uh, attributes of God given those first few words, right? I am who I am. I am the Lord of heaven's armies. I am your King and I am your Redeemer. This is who I am. But he goes on, I am the first and I am the last. Revelation says he is the alpha, the first letter of the Greek alphabet. And the omega, I'm the beginning and I'm the end. No one comes in front of me. No one comes after me. I am who I am, first, last. Besides me there is no God who is like me, God says. Let him proclaim it. In other words, here's the microphone. Step up, tell me who's like me. And God can say this because he's God. He says, let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. So here, Isaiah, speaking the word of God, is saying that God's foreknowledge of what is to come is demonstrating that he is unlike any other, that he's sovereign. Verse 8 Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Can I get a witness? (laughs) He is the only God. He is above all. He is no one else like this God. So we're talking today about the sovereignty of God, that he reigns. That he does what he pleases to do. That there is no one else like him declaring the end from the very beginning. He is the beginning. He is the end. And so when we get to the subject of the sovereignty of God, it always brings up two very important issues that I want to briefly address this morning. Briefly address. Anytime we bring up the sovereignty of God, it makes us have to figure out what does it mean for our choices, right? The freedom of man, human responsibility, our volitional decisions. And the sovereignty of God makes us also think about this. What do we do with the very real problem in the world? It's actually called the problem of evil and suffering and pain. So first, let me speak toward free will. The Bible contains within it tensions, tensions that I believe we have to live with, we must yield to. I believe the Bible teaches a God who is absolutely sovereign, but the Bible also teaches that we as human beings, that our decisions are morally free, responsible, with consequences that matter, We're to be held accountable for how we live, for what we say, for what we do. I believe they're both true. God is sovereign. Our decisions are free and real. How they fit together, I'm not sure. But they're both true. And so that's what I hold to. That's how I deal with that very challenging subject that theologians have been debating for hundreds of years. The second issue is is a more difficult one because this one obviously will hit home very personally for people all of us have been impacted by pain suffering evil in this world why is it in the world how is god sovereign over that when god is good and god doesn't cause bad things to happen we, we make the bad choices we do the bad things and so we wrestle it's kind of easy to say oh you know i got a new job praise god thank you lord but oh no i got cancer what i mean you don't want to th- i mean th- did god give me i mean so we wrestle with like how do i make sense of good and evil and a sovereign god again the bible contains tensions that are difficult for our puny brains to figure out I'm not going to sacrifice the sovereignty of God to appease any human conscience that's struggling with the problem of evil and suffering. The solution to evil and suffering is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. The problem of evil and suffering is our sin caused it. But we have to just be completely honest. God permitted it. God allowed Adam and Eve to fall. He somehow was sovereign over that. I will not sacrifice the sovereignty Sovereignty of God and there are plenty of human systems that try to take away God's sovereignty to make it kind of fit in this nice little human box but I refuse to do that as your pastor and as a follower of Jesus so the best thing I ever heard about this issue was in a, in a New Testament class I'm not even sure why he said it Maybe we were in Romans or a a book of the New Testament but Dr. Thomas Schreiner who's still a professor of New Testament at Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky one of the most humble godly, wise biblical scholars I've ever met one day in class he said God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the good and the bad and he stands behind the bad, evil, and suffering in a way that we cannot comprehend as humans. Theologians have used phrases like primary causation, secondary causation. I don't want to go into all that. Somehow God is sovereign over all things, permitting it, using it, allowing it for his glory I have to live with that tension because to walk away from God is to walk away from the only hope for us in our suffering, in our pain. So how might we respond to the sovereignty of God as his people? Three responses quickly. First, we should take comfort in the sovereign reign of God. Oh, comfort in the sovereign reign of God. Look at Psalm 93, a short psalm, all about sovereignty. The Lord reigns. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He's put strength on his belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring, mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. We've all been through the fire and through the flood to use a biblical analogy and the floods will lift up their voice in our lives in this world but there is one who is mightier than the thunders of many waters who is robed in majesty the sovereign holy I am who I am that should comfort us as a world is spinning out of control and seemingly yet there is a God who reigns on his throne. That should comfort us, church. I will not take away the sovereignty of God to try to help me figure out why things happen. I'll refuse to compromise that God is sovereign. That will bring you comfort when you yield to it. Number two, and look, look human beings fight this doctrine. They fight it because we want to be in charge. And we fight it. We fight it. Number two, we should fully surrender to God's rule and reign in our lives. Philippians 2.9, a verse that speaks of what will happen one day. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A yielding to Jesus as sovereign king. Do it today. Gladly. Surrender to God's rule and reign in your life so it should comfort we should take comfort in his reign surrender to his reign but number 3 we must trust that God is always able to work all things together for good what a promise what a promise for us i, I preached this same message at both services this morning and somebody said last service he said Romans 8:28 we can kind of make sense of that verse in reverse, right? I've heard it said before that this promise, Romans eight twenty eight, that I'm going to read to you, doesn't always make sense in the moment. It may never make sense, but lots of times we can see it in the rearview mirror how God worked it all for good. Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good. And it's qualified by this, to those who love God. So be sure and love God, by the way. And to those who are called according to His purpose, one and the same. Called according to God's purpose, those who love God. God works all things together for good. What a promise. Two examples, one Old Testament, one New, then I'll be finished. The book of Genesis. The story of young braggadocious Joseph who was almost the baby of the family. There was Benjamin younger than him, but he was, he was young and he was proud because he had dreams. Daniel interpreted dreams, but Joseph had dreams. And Joseph told his brothers that, I have dreamed that all of you are bowing down to me. And his big brother said, hmm, <laughs> I'm sure that blessed their hearts. Well, oh, they were upset and they were looking for their chance. And one day they saw Joseph out in the wilderness. He was coming there to check on his brothers and they wanted to kill him. They couldn't decide, do we kill him? We, we th-? So they threw him in a pit and then they sell him into slavery. And this poor young man goes down to the pit, to the gutter of life. But the Bible says time and time again, But the Lord was with him. God was with Joseph. That's all you need. God's with Joseph. And what happens? God elevates that humble man who was imprisoned, falsely accused. A picture of Jesus being falsely accused, by the way. And here is Joseph being elevated to a great position of authority. He's second in command of all of Egypt. What happens? Well, years later, the famine comes just like Pharaoh's dream and Joseph's interpretation said, and here comes his big brothers and he's in his full Egyptian garment and hairstyle and they don't recognize him but he recognizes them. <laughs> and he's so overwhelmed with emotion. He has to leave the room and he cries because he just he couldn't he was so glad to see his family. And he asked about his brother, he asked about his dad, he tests them. But it all comes to the end, Genesis 50, when they, they realize uh, dad's dead and is Joseph going to like pay us back? And they ask for his forgiveness. And Joseph says in Genesis 50, it's one of the greatest verses in the Bible, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. What a verse. But the greatest example, church, the greatest example of God working all things together for good was the most evil deed ever done on planet Earth to the most innocent, perfect, spotless lamb. If the Bible could say in Acts chapter 4 that Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and all the people of Israel because they thought they were in charge of what was happening and they conspired against your holy servant Jesus, Peter prayed, whom you appointed and they did, Acts 4.28, what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. I'm going to live with that tension. God's going to hold them responsible for their decisions to crucify Jesus. But on the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Life comes forth from the death of Jesus Christ. The greatest good that's ever come, the only hope for pain, evil, and suffering is the cross of Jesus Christ. His resurrection from the dead. And God is sovereign over it. He even predestined it for His glory and for our good. Praise you, God, that you are the sovereign God over our lives. Lord, I don't understand how your sovereignty and our freedom all fit together. God, I don't understand how you stand behind both good and evil and you're, you're in control over it all. I don't understand, God, but I know this is who you are. And I want to live with the tension of what the Word says. Do not let me water down your sovereignty one bit. I worship you, God, because you're a sovereign God. You reign. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And, Lord, it comforts my heart. Let it bring comfort today to our hearts. God, I pray that we would yield, bow, down to the reign and rule of Jesus in our lives. And God, we trust you that you're working all things together for good because Lord, we love you and you've called us according to your purpose. So God, thank you that you reign, that you do what you please, that you are above all other gods. Let us come and bow the knee and tell others about Jesus so that God, every knee on earth right now before the judgment can bow before Jesus Christ as Lord and have eternal life. God, let the sovereignty of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the unchangeableness of God, and that God is self-existent, let all of these attributes show us more, a picture of all that you are, and let us bow before you and praise you and worship you. Humble us, God, because you humbled Nebuchadnezzar, and you will humble us in our pride. Let us come humbly to the cross. And thank you, Jesus. Thank you for bringing good to every man, woman, boy, and girl. Hope for the nations because of Jesus. True freedom is through Jesus Christ. Let us celebrate the freedom that is ours from sin. And we worship you, our sovereign God, today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand.